The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Lord, we do want to we do want to trust you more this morning because of your word. We are trusting you now to come through your word and by your spirit and open our eyes that we would see your faithfulness, your faithfulness in the past, your faithfulness to us now in Jesus, your faithfulness that's going to stretch all the way into eternity. And so we're asking you to to build our faith, to build our, our trust in your trustworthiness, to help us, we pray, to comfort us and convict us, to encourage us and exhort us wherever we need it this morning. Lord, you know You know every single heart in this room. You know every single heart that's watching right now via live stream. You know exactly what each one needs, where the brokenness is, where the pain is, where the anger is. And so we're asking you by your Spirit to undo those knots in our hearts that need to be undone, those knots in our hearts that have been there for for years and years, and to come and make much of yourself in our hearts. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a good week. Uh, just uh, at the introduction, I said this the first week we started preaching Genesis, and I'm assuming you don't remember it. Um, but every week as I kind of try to help uh, Sarah Vogel with the lesson for Bethlehem kids, I'm reminded that some of these texts are more kid-friendly and some are less. And this particular week, I thought, I'll just remind the parents uh, that there's a reading plan. And so... <laughs> The next five or six chapters of Genesis get a little bit uh, messy and gnarly at times. So as a parent, I just want you to be prepared as as you're reading and preparing them for what's coming. I'm going to do my best to uh, be tasteful and helpful about it, but I want you to know what's coming and just remind you that Genesis and the Bible is not always a sparkly book. And so we got to go where God goes. So we've titled this series... um, Genesis, meeting the God who keeps his promises. And I knew that these sermons at some points would actually begin to feel a bit redundant. In that over and over and over again, you would hear, and look at how God kept his promise again. And look at how God kept his promise again. And look at how God kept his promise again. And and that's intentional. (laughs) The choosing of this book in this moment is intentional. So that over and over again, our hearts as a church and as individuals would be reoriented around the trustworthiness of God. To orient our hearts to the reality of who God is and just how far and how deep and how much we can trust him even in crazy times, even when everything seems chaotic like the last few years in the world. And the reason this is so important is that I'm convinced almost every other place you spend most of your weeks and most of your time, there are a lot of voices right now that will tell you that your opinion about this or that or your thoughts about this or that or this thing you must figure out or this issue you must figure out or or this reality going on in the world, they're going to tell you that's most important. They're going to tell you that it's what you've got to figure out. That's what you have to give your mind to. That's where you have to have all your spare thoughts go. That's where you have to spend your free time 
right, on, on Google, searching the, the nearest headline, the recent headline. And here's, here's what I want to argue this morning. There's one opinion in your life that's most important. And here's what I think we have to figure out to like the, the core of our beings. What, what Abram has to figure out to the core of his being is this. Is God trustworthy? Is God trustworthy? That's what we have to figure out. Obviously, how you answer this question by faith in Jesus is the most important question you'll ever answer for eternal life. But it's also most important for how you will think about and respond to every other thing in your life. When we talk about the, the sovereignty of God here all the time, his, his supremacy and His sovereignty, and what's amazing to me is you will not find one time in the Bible where that sovereignty, where that power is separate for His working for the good of His people and the glory of His name. In other words, that sovereignty is never just up in the clouds. It's always working for the good of His people. So there's no questions. I would guess most of you in this room right now would not have any struggle saying, yes, God is sovereign. Yes, He's big. He's powerful. But the question kind of in the the nooks and crannies of our life, when things are really hard, when things are really broken, is not just, is He big? Not just, is He sovereign? Not just, is He all-powerful? But the question is, is He trustworthy? Is he trustworthy? So, so let, me, let me ask you this. If, if God is trustworthy, if we could convince ourselves he's trustworthy, even in the nooks and crannies of our lives, wouldn't that change how you think about and how you respond to all the noise and clamoring out there? Wouldn't, wouldn't it change just how you think about it, how you process it, how you take it in? If he's trustworthy, wouldn't it change how you interact with your spouse and kids when the rubber meets the road? <laughs> when it gets really hard. Wouldn't it change how we, how we respond in suffering if God's trustworthy? Wouldn't it change how you respond to inflation and financial stress? Wouldn't it change how you pray for a friend or how you know and love your neighbors? Wouldn't it change your very posture from a place of raging with fear to kind of resting in faith? In other words, wouldn't it change all the places in your life where you actually spend your time, where you actually live your life? What if it really is the most important thing to figure out? And in this chapter, right, strange as it may seem at times, this chapter, God is going to remind his people, I'm trustworthy. I'm trustworthy. You can trust me. And that he's working to get them to his place to enjoy his presence. So I've been praying this week, knowing, getting texts from you, some of you yesterday, getting, getting emails in, in all sorts of broken situations. I've been praying that God, through his word, by the power of the Holy Spirit and all of the brokenness and suffering, would convince us as a people that he's trustworthy this morning. So I'm just asking you now to, to go there. <laughs> Look at your heart. Say, I know he's big, but do I trust him? And, and ask him now, Lord, would you work even in this strange Genesis 17 to, to show me that you're trustworthy? So let's dive in. Point number one is, is the God of the covenant. Who is the God who keeps 
this covenant. Look at verses 1 to 2. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Now you'll notice if you look at the last verse of chapter 16 and the first verse here of chapter 17 that the author is intentionally marking time. Right? Abram was 86 and now he's 99. So we notice that it's been 13 years since his misstep with Hagar. Right? 13 years. When was the last time you waited 13 years for something? <laughs> it's a long time to sit and to wait. We haven't heard God speak. We don't, we don't know if God's spoken to him in those 13 years. We don't know what's happened. We just know that there's a long time has passed and now God is showing up. It's been 24 years since the initial promise to Abram in Genesis 12. So here we have this gap, this 13 years since Abram had tried to do it on his own, 24 years since his initial calling and hadn't pointed out last week the similarities in Genesis 16 to Genesis 3 last week, right? Sarai took Hagar like the fruit and gave her to her husband. And like in Genesis 3, Abram listened to the voice of his wife instead of the voice of God. Why? Why did, why did Eve do what she did and Adam listen? And why did Abram listen? And why did they do what they do? And right, the, the bottom line has to be we don't really know if in the brokenness of life we can trust God. We're just not quite sure he's going to do it. <laughs> just going to take a step and maybe give him a little pep talk. Maybe give him a, a little help. Why in this particular case was it so hard for them to believe and take things into their own hands? And the answer is very simple, right? Because they were, they were older, right? Sarai was barren. And you can understand the worry if the promise is an offspring and you're 80 years old, right? We don't do a lot of baby dedications here when the parents are in their 80s, right? I don't know if I've ever done one. And, and, and she can understand, right, the, the welling up of, of worry. And the situation from a worldly perspective has not gotten better. It's now 13 years later. She's still barren. Abram is 100. Sarah is 90, still barren. And we'll see later in this chapter and the next that it was really hard for both of them to believe that this could happen. So here's the question for them. Here's the question for us. Is God trustworthy? What's too hard for him? Can he keep his promises to us? Kids, let me talk to you. Are you ever afraid or confused? Most kids get afraid and confused. Most adults get afraid and confused. Who do you go to, right, when you're afraid or you're confused? You go to your parents, right, or your grandparents, or someone older that you trust, that you know loves you. And the reason you go to them is because you know they're smarter than you. And they're stronger than you. They have wisdom that you don't have. And God knows everything and is stronger than everything and everyone else combined. And that's what God comes 
and tells Abram about himself. Here's what he says. God shows up here and he speaks directly to their doubt as he speaks directly to them. So imagine, again, I just want to keep putting you in the story. It's been, you've, you've, you've blown it, right? You've blown it in a bunch of different ways, but most recently you blew it with Hagar and it's been 13 years and you're sitting around and you're waiting and God shows up to you and here's what he says. He says, I am God Almighty. El Shaddai, right? I, I'm God Almighty. And I almost just stopped at this verse, and, and, but I think that the context is important. But you should just take 10 minutes this week and think, what does it mean? What does it mean in every area of my life, in every area of the world, for the cause of missions, for the cause of the evangel- evangelization of these south suburbs, for, for my neighbors, for my family? What does it mean that God controls everything? That's what all-powerful means. It means He's all-powerful. Nothing can stand in His way. Nothing can stop Him. Nothing can stand against Him. And here's what He does. He shows up and reveals to Abram His awesome power. In saying this, here's what I think he's saying to Abram. He's saying, listen, I know. I know it's been 24 years since I first called you. I know it's been a long road. I know it's been a long time since you believed me and I counted it to you as righteousness. I know it's been a long time since you tried to do it your own way and made this mess with Hagar. But I'm still here. I'm still all-powerful. I'm still going to keep my promise to you Just walk with me. Just trust me and let me be God and walk with me. We serve this same God. Our God is all-powerful. He's made promises to all of us who have trusted in Jesus. He's shown himself faithful. He's given us Jesus to live the perfect life on our behalf, to die the death we deserve to die for sins, to rise again to conquer death. He's promised to be with us to the end of the age. He's promised to complete the good work He started in us. He's promised to bring us to Himself forever. And He had showed Himself faithful to Abram over and over and over again too already. We've already seen it. And yet Abram had still made a mess of things with his sin. It's a mess. He was distracted and overwhelmed with suffering and circumstances around him. And we, we do that, right? We've said about Abram, Abram's faith is real. <laughs> but it's not perfect. Abram's faith is real, but it has to keep growing. Abram's faith is real, but it breaks sometimes. Haddon last week said his faith is real, but he doesn't always exercise it. And that's us. And God would say to us right now, wherever you're at, in the muck, in the mire, in the suffering, in the sin, in the brokenness, I'm still here. I'm still here. I didn't go anywhere. I'm all powerful. I'm going to keep my promises to you. Just walk with me and wait for me to work. I'm for you, not against you. I didn't choose you because you were awesome. I didn't choose you because you were knocking it out of the park. I didn't choose you because you could do it on your own. I chose you because I love you. (laughs) I chose you for the glory of my name. So when you mess it up or you don't knock it out of the park or you're failing and foolish, isn't that why I needed to save you? So why? Why would you think that I've gone somewhere because you've been a fool? (laughs) That's why I came in the first place. And we're going to talk 
a little bit more next week about the names of this covenant. He, God changes all their names. It's awesome to think about why he does that. But here's what I'd say this week, just the one thing. Back in this time and in this culture, someone's name was an extension of their very person. And their name was who they were. And so here God is revealing not just his name, not just something he does, but who he is. I'm God, all-powerful. That's his name. It's not just something he does, not just something he's capable of. It's who he is. It's, it's his name. He's the all-powerful one. He's revealing himself, giving Abram a look at who he is. He's revealing that he's trustworthy because in his very nature, in his very name, is unstoppable power that will be used to keep his promises and work for the good of his people. So he's saying, you have doubts? It's been a long time. You're wondering if I'm going to keep my promises? I am almighty. I am all powerful. And then the call on Abram is walk before me and be blameless. So what does that mean? I think it simply means, Abram, be with me. Be with me. Seek to live like I'm real and you can trust me. Orient your whole life around this reality. Live and walk and breathe and work and father and parent and husband and wife and change diapers and do dishes and do yard work and do your vocation. Do all of that like I'm real and you can trust me. When we get to Revelation 5, Revelation 5 is like this, this pulling back of the curtain that gives us this, this picture into what's real and where all of history is kind of oriented and headed. And in Revelation 5, where is all of reality pointed? Right, It's all pointed at the throne of God and the Lamb. All eyes there, all attention there, completely engaged in worship. And that's the call in Abram here. It's not perfection, Never going to get to perfection. It's simply a life walking with God as if God is real, all-powerful, worthy of our trust. Go where he tells us. Walk with him. Hold his hand. Stay close to him. And when we go away, we repent and say, forgive me. If we believe this, if we believed that this God is all-powerful, he keeps his promise, and he just wants us to walk with him, what situations and conversations, what anxiety and anger what fear and foolishness, what priorities and postures might be transformed if we would seek by faith in the Spirit to walk with our God like He's real, all-powerful, and worthy of our trust. Anyone send any emails this week without thinking much about God? I did. I'm a pastor. Anyone do any work this week without thinking much about God? No. Good. <laughs> Anyone... Anyone have any relational strife where in the moment you didn't do a lot of thinking about God? Right? Here, here's the call. Just know I'm real. <laughs> Walk with me. Know I'm, know I'm trustworthy. And I know, I know Abram, there's going to be times it's hard to trust me, but come on back. <laughs> come on back and trust me. And I'm, I'm here and I'm waiting. What could be transformed if just moment by moment 
Day by day, we said, God, help us live like you're real and you're all-powerful and I can trust you. Point number two. So that's the God of the covenant. Here's this kind of calling it the expansion of the covenant, which just means that these things seem to get bigger and bigger every time we see them. It says, Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. Your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful, and I'll make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I'll give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Now just notice, and what you're going to see, is there's a lot of God talking in this chapter. And basically what we see of Abram, is we see Abram, as God reveals himself, Abram fall on his face, and then eventually Abram get up. And then Abram fall on his face again, and then... Get up. And, and this is the posture of worship, right? This is, if we really understood who God was and how all-powerful He was and, and how, how big He was and, and how in control of everything He was and how holy He was, how great I am He was, like we just saying, right? The posture would just be on our faces, right? What do you want? What, what do I do? How do I honor you? And, and that's what we see here. And God is so kind, so kind. I want you to notice again that God Almighty promises a people, right? He says offspring, a place, all the land of Canaan to enjoy his presence. I will be their God. We're going to keep seeing this over and over again, but I want you to notice also a threefold expansion of the promises. I don't think this is new. I think God just revealing more and more of how big this thing really is. First, notice Abraham will be the father of of a multitude of nations, which is confirmed by God changing his name from Abram to Abraham. Abram means exalted father, right? Like you're a really important dad in the story. (laughs) And Abraham means father of a multitude. Like a multitude of nations is going to come from you. I'm going to make that your, your name, right? That's an expansion. Second notice that kings, it says kings shall come from you. There's now a royal element added to the picture. From his offspring will come kings, and later in Genesis we'll see an ultimate king is being pointed to as we follow his offspring line. And third, notice that this is an everlasting covenant. Here's what he's saying. This multitude of people that will enjoy me in this place, that's going to last forever. This multitude of people that will enjoy me in this place, that's going to last forever. All of history, Abram, is moving towards me keeping my promise in a way that nations and kings will come from you, and in your offspring I will keep my promise to bless all the nations to enjoy me in my place forever. So notice, God Almighty shows up on the scene. Abram falls on his face, and God doesn't come to him and say, Yeah, you blew it. I'm taking my promises away. Stay on the ground. (laughs) Stay down there for a while. Think about what you did. He's been thinking, right, for 13 years. God comes and says, Abram, you blew it. 
but it was never about you. I'm still all-powerful. I'm still faithful. And by the way, while you're down there, let me tell you a little bit more about how good and how big my promises to you are. Let me remind you how, how big and how good my promises to you are. And the most amazing part of this promise, right, I mean, there's a lot of amazing stuff in this promise. Like, I don't know how many of you have kind of the aspiration, like, I'm going to have kings come from me. Right? I'm going to have multitudes of nations. Right? Those seem like really big things. But the most amazing part of this promise is that twice God emphasizes to him, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. Right? You see, in verse 1 and 2, God says, I'm all-powerful. But that's not quite enough, is it? (laughs) Is that quite enough for your heart? Like, it's good that he's all-powerful, but isn't it even better when he says, I'm all-powerful and I'm with you? I'm all-powerful and I'm going to be your God. I'm all-powerful and I'm not going to be distant or fickle. I'm not going to be distant or fickle like you sometimes are, right? Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking God's like us. And he's distant or he's fickle. And we start to put our characteristics on God and God just comes and says, Remember, I'm not like you. I'm all powerful, but I'm for you, not distant or fickle. I'm all in. I'm going to be here. I will be here generation after generation from now until eternity to keep my promises. Now, my kids obviously know I'm a very strong person, right? You can laugh. You're supposed to laugh. Oftentimes, but here's, here's the thing. Oftentimes at night what happens when my kids wake up at night is almost all the time, right, Kelly and I are, are sitting and we, we hear a door, right? <laughs> Doors opening, there's footsteps, and almost every time they'll wander to the top of the stairs to see us, right? And often we'll say, well, what do you need? Nothing, right? It's kind of in the stupor. Nothing, we don't need anything. Or if we're asleep, they'll, they'll wander to our room to find us. Why do they do that? I don't know either sometimes. But what the, mainly, they want that reassurance that we're there. Right? Sometimes, there's one of my kids that will often even say before they're going to bed, they'll say, are you going anywhere tonight? Are you going anywhere? You know, I might say, really quick errand, I'll be right back. But what do they want to know? They want to know, Dad and Mom are there. And God is giving Abraham that reassurance right here. Right? And He's giving it to us in Jesus. I want you to think about this. When Jesus gives the Great Commission, go and make disciples, what comes along with that commission? Well, two things do. On the front end, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. How much authority? All authority. I've got it all, right? It it's all belongs to me. No one else has any of the authority. I have it all. That's, that's encouraging. Even more encouraging is when you pair that what comes after the Great Commission where he says, right, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Same God, right? Jesus saying, I have all the authority and I'm going to be with you. This is the enduring message of God to his people. I have all the authority and I'm going to be with you. Point number three, the sign of the covenant. Now in verses 9 to 14, God commands 
that every male that's a part of the household, whether born in their house or from a foreign place, should be circumcised. And so now the question is, is this circumcision somehow saving them or making them righteous? What, what is it doing? So listen to Romans 4, 11. We're just going to get the answer right from Paul in Romans. And here's what Paul says in Romans 4, 11. Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. And so we can see he was already righteous by faith. This isn't gaining him any righteousness. This was a sign and a seal of that reality. It was meant to be a very clear reminder full of all sorts of deep meaning for the people of God to remember this almighty God who made such audacious promises to them. So why, why circumcision? Right? That's a, that's, Maybe it's, that's a strange way to do that, God. So why? Well, well, what was the promise? What's the promise? Right, an offspring. <laughs> a people, a place. We all know how offspring happens, right? An ultimate offspring that would bless all the nations. And so every time, think about this. Think about what this would do for the way you think for the way you process who God is, for the way that you're reminded all the time, right? Think about this. Every time a male offspring came, it was marked with the ceremony of blood. What is that building into the people of God? Right? It it was a reminder that they could not trust themselves as Abraham had tried to in his own flesh, but indeed they needed to turn away. They needed to remove their fleshly instincts. It was a reminder of the promise of God Almighty and the need to trust Him and not themselves. Right? All this is caught up in this sign. It was a a hope-filled and a humbling ceremony meant to say, we can't trust ourselves, but we can trust our God. Look at Here's another offspring. The promise is still alive. It's still alive and kicking, right? He is trustworthy. He'll keep his promise. And we can keep looking for this ultimate offspring that will shed his blood. We can keep trusting that he will be our God and we will be his people if we'll just trust him. So God's just building in, right? If you, if you read through Genesis and then you get to the point where they're in Egypt, this people is multiplying, <laughs> Like crazy, think of the number of reminders. Probably, right, probably day by day by day by day. Promise, 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 promise. Remember, remember, remember. Now getting this sign did not guarantee that they would be righteous. Right, we see throughout the Old Testament that many who were circumcised were rebels. And then a few less were redeemed. But this was meant to be a sign that they would remember the God who keeps his promises. That there was an ultimate offspring coming that would crush the head of the serpent and bring blessing to all the nations. There was an offspring coming that would allow God's people to finally and fully and freely and forever enjoy God's presence in God's place. And every time an eight-year-old baby boy went to have this done, God was saying, remember. Remember who I am. Remember what I promised you. Lastly, this true circumcision and the true offspring. I bet you were all looking forward to a biblical theology of circumcision this morning. So we're going to go there. Because what I want you to do when you read Genesis 17 is go, this is meant to point me to something so much greater. The Bible is one story and God's telling it on purpose with certain words and certain ways to help me understand myself 
in his goodness. So we've already seen over and over again in Genesis that all these nations, all these kings, all these offspring are leading to one ultimate offspring. And that's just not me guessing, right? Galatians 3.16, I'm just going to keep reading you this verse over and over again. Here's what it says. The promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. So we know that's where this is headed. The ultimate place we place our faith and our hope is in Jesus Christ, the ultimate offspring. And the Bible says that the very act of circumcision, the trusting look to the promises of God, the cutting away of our trust in our flesh that led Abraham astray is a picture of what needs to happen in our hearts. Our hearts need to turn from trust in themselves to trust in the promised offspring who is Jesus Christ. I'm just going to show it to you that God built this in not only for this memory but to point them to this greater circumcision he was pointing to. So here's two places when God sees unbelief in Israel. I want you to hear how he talks to them when he sees unbelief. So Deuteronomy 10.16 Israel's not believing. He says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. What does he mean? Believe. (laughs) Believe. Or Jeremiah 4.4 Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. Turn to me and believe. That's what he's saying. In other words, does Israel need behavior modification? Is this sign enough to save them? No, they need heart work. Do we only need behavior modification? Right? Do we just need better leaders in our society? Where are we trusting? No, we need to remove the fleshly trust in human ability, especially our own, and have hearts that trust in God. Now, if that were up to me, that'd be really bad news. Because <laughs> I would just fail and flounder. But my ultimate hope and your ultimate hope is that God does the heart surgery. God does it. God removes the self-trust of our hearts and instead helps us to trust him that we might have eternal life. Think of Jeremiah 31, verses 33 to 34. Here's what it says. God says about the new covenant, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. Was that in Genesis 17? Right? I will be their God. They'll be my people. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. God does the heart work. God does this work by His Spirit to circumcise our hearts, to turn them toward Him. He'll be our God, like it says in Genesis 17. We're His people, and He forgives us and doesn't even remember our sin. Well, what about the New Testament? Does it talk this way at all? It actually does all the time, strangely enough. I'm just going to read you Two. Listen to Colossians 2, 11 to 13. In Jesus also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That's impossible, so it must be spiritual, right? By putting off the body of flesh, there's the flesh going away, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which we were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. What is this saying the circumcision of Christ is? It's God putting off our trust in our flesh and putting our trust on his death and his resurrection. Who should get baptized in the church today? Those whose hearts have already been circumcised 
to trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And notice this phrase, the powerful working of God. I'm God Almighty. Trust in me. Turn to me. Just one more circumcision text for today. Philippians 3.3 For we are the circumcision. Right? That's not going to be our new mission statement. But it's how Paul talks about things. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Who are the truly circumcised people of God today? Those who worship by the Spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in their own ability to save or keep themselves. So the call of the the passage today for us is this. Trust in the all-powerful God. If your heart has already been circumcised, trust again. Believe Him again. Move towards Him again. If you're hearing this and you haven't trusted in Jesus, the call would be put off your flesh and trust in Jesus today, in this moment, that He's the only one that can forgive your sins. The call of this passage to us is trust in all of His promises. Trust in the name of Jesus. Look away from yourself. Remind yourself that He's trustworthy. Remind yourself that he sent Jesus to do for you what you could never do for yourself so you can rest in him and walk by faith with him today. Remind yourself that we do serve a son of suffering who's acquainted with our griefs, who knows our sorrows, who knows your pain, who's walking with you in it. Remind yourself that he's kept his promise to bring his people to his place, to enjoy his presence by the indwelling Holy Spirit right now here in this place. And that one day soon it will come perfectly to pass in the new heavens and new earth. Listen to Revelation 21.3. And now that you've heard Genesis 17, listen for the echoes that God means in the Bible. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself, the almighty God, will be with them as their God. That's where it's all headed. That's where it's all headed. He's with us and he will be with us. He'll keep his promises to us. He's God Almighty. He's proven he's with us and he will be with us in Jesus. Even if the wait is long, like 13 years, or like 24 years, even if we've made a mess of things with our sin, even if we've been distracted and distressed, by suffering and circumstances. He is speaking to our circumcised hearts right now, saying, remember, I'm God Almighty. Walk with me. Trust me. I'm real. I'll be with you. I'm your God. You're my people. I've sent Jesus to do what you couldn't. I'm for you. I'll keep my promises to you through the name of my son, Jesus. And you're going to be with me forever. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to be together forever. I'm going to get you there. I'm still all-powerful even when you've walked away, even when you've run away. It's okay, church. Whatever is going on out there, whatever is going on in here, I'm going to ask you one more time the the question I asked you at the very beginning. I want you to wrestle with from this text in your heart, is God trustworthy? And if he does, what does that change? What does that change for you not just up in the clouds. What does it change on your car ride home? What does it change at your lunch? What does it change as you approach your work week? What does it change with 
frustration with kids? What does it change with extended family? What does it change with politics? What does it change with social media? What does it change with the biggest and the smallest things in the world? What does it change if God is trustworthy? Let me pray. So Lord, we're going to we're going to come now and we're going to eat and drink with you. And here's another way that you've called us to remember your faithfulness, to remember that you came and your body was broken for us and your blood was shed for us, that you did what we could never do, that, that God Almighty sent you to, to come into our mess, to come into our muck, to come into our brokenness, to live a perfect life we couldn't live, to die the death we deserve to die, to prove to us that you are for us and not against us, to purchase us, to take us from the slave camp of sin and Satan and our flesh and bring us and sit at your table as adopted sons and daughters. So God, I pray in this moment for this people that you would work your trustworthiness deep into our hearts. You'd help us to know that you're big and you're for us and that we can trust you. So God, as we come to eat and drink with Jesus in this moment, as we come to eat and drink with Jesus as a family in this moment, oh God, would you work a deep, trusting spirit in this people, in me, in us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.